Greetings, Team Adilam. Karibuni sana tena, tena, tena. We are now today beginning what I consider to be a mini-series, considering how long our series are. We're going to do a mini-series on work. And the way that we are calling this series is Work is Worship. That is the title of this series and this is basically on the backdrop of where we left off from the Acts series. If you have watched the Acts series in episode 15, which is the final episode, you will find that I talk about work and that God is imploring us in terms of basically telling us that we ought to be able to be conscious of how it is that we work and that God is wanting to use our work as a witness. Right, And you remember in, in, in episode 14, we talk about the fact that first he calls us to be able to adjust our priorities, right? So first is adjust your priority in terms of recognizing that he is calling us to be able to prioritize kingdom work, right? The work of being able to pursue and basically go out and speak of his kingdom. Uh, to others and to those that he draws towards us um, and that's really important in terms of us being able to ensure that our priorities are right but the second part was that him imploring us and telling us that our work is a part of our witness and so today what I want us to be able to do is we're gonna have a four-part uh, series where we talk about work this series is something that is quite similar to what I did in 2018, I mentioned this, um, where we, I did a series on work at Nairobi Chapel South. And so that's what we're going to be doing uh, for over the next uh, four weeks is that we're going to do a four-part series on work is worship. Amen! Work is worship! I'm so excited about this because I feel like very compassionately God is saying to us that we need to recognize that these are not two different things that every single aspect of our lives is a call to be his witness whether it's through us being able to go out there and start a bible study with our friends or to be able to go and start a prayer squad that those things are just as important as how even in the marketplace and in the places in which God has planted us that that same place is a place that is also a part of our witness and God is wanting all of us through our entire life that our entire life would be a witness to the fact that Jesus is alive and that he's interested in our lives and in redeeming us completely. Amen? Amen! So, today what we're going to look at is we're going to answer the question of why it is that we work. Why do we work? So we're going to look at four things uh, over this series. The first thing that we're going to look at today is we're going to answer the question of why we work. And the second thing that we're going to talk about, which is next week, is that we're going to ask the uh, answer the question of what is work, right? And then the third thing that we're going to do is that we're going to now look at how we work. How are we supposed to work? And then the last thing that we're going to look at is the importance of rest. So we're going to look at the whole idea around why rest is incredibly important. So this is going to be a four-part series, and I'm super excited about this because we get to learn together about all these things that work is worship. So today, 
why do we work? Now, the thing is where I'd love to start this off is obviously from the perspective of the reason why we have to answer the question of why we work is because for many of us, <laughs> for many of us, we hate work. Yeah, true or false? <laughs> we hate work, man. Like, I don't think I know too many people who are just like, yeah, work, you know? And for us, it's kind of like this necessity that has been endured upon us where it's just kind of like, you know, we just got to do this thing, otherwise we'll just die, right? But when we look and think about work, we always see this as this strenuous, toiling thing that we have to do all the time, right? So for most of us, if we had a choice, if we had a choice, and if, I'm sure if anyone has any posts, if, you, if, if social media is anything to go by, the amount of people who post <laughs> about how I just want a life where I just travel with my bae, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, without having to do any work, and, and that's a goal for so many of us, that if we were to hit the jackpot, like if we had to hit the lottery, man, we are out of this work game, bro. Like, me, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, see you, see you on the other side. An early, what we call an early retirement, and it's always such a glorious thing for anyone. It's like, this is my early retirement, right? Who am I working for? Nobody, if I hit the lottery. You know, I have a friend who, um, I remember once uh, told me how, you know, she had done extensive investigations <laughs> on how she can be able to get the stuff that she wants without having to work. Like, I mean, she did all kinds of research, even to the extent of being like, nah, even if I have a sponsor. Yeah. But the thing is just like, but still even with a sponsor, <laughs> I have to be there working how to please this guy so that he can continue to give me chums, right? So the whole thing was, is that just realizing that there was literally no way to go around the question of work, right? Um, which made her very sad, and all of us as well, uh, in terms of we were looking forward to her findings, and only we found that this thing doesn't lead anywhere apart from the fact that we all have to work to be able to achieve or to get the things that we desire. There's this phrase that I hear so many times. It's like, I think it was probably by Steve Jobs, where he says, um, do what you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. I'm not sure if it's him who said that, but oh, he's the original person who said it, but I know he said it. And the thing is about this phrase is that it basically, in a sense, kind of captures our view on work, right? Because this whole thing of, you know, if you, if you love what you do, right, it means that you don't have to work a day in your life, which I don't think that's really true. I mean, let me give an example. Like, so for example, with, with Adulam. Adulam, out of all the things I've ever done, has been probably the thing that has been the, the, the one thing that I have done that has had most flow, right? In terms of like, it flows, right? It doesn't feel very strenuous. But the thing is, is that there are very many, many times where I feel very overwhelmed um, by this work. And in as much as I absolutely love teaching God's word. I love teaching God's word. It takes a lot of work to prepare, to spend time like preparing, doing all this research. And not only just that, like it also takes a lot from me generally to be able to just come out here and pour out my life every single week, you know. So this is not, in as much as yes, you love it, it's, you know, kazi ni kazi. <laughs> you know, work is work. There's some things that you cannot escape work, you know. So even when you're doing the thing that you love, you know what I'm saying? That still is work. And so the question really is then, whose idea was it in the first place, this whole work thing? Whose idea was this, right? 
And why is it that literally in almost every single area of your life and every single area of our lives, in order for us to see the full benefits of anything, it requires us to work. Then even if, even even you being a thief, <laughs> there there's some things there just like easy money, bro. You still gotta work. Like whose idea was this, right? You know the fact that relationships take work, businesses take work, ministry takes work, eating takes work. You know, having a good body, even just like working out, takes work. Like even if you if you come and you're just like you know me, my body is natural. I just born like this naturally. My my friend, at some point, your natural Manenos will come to an end and he's, and for you to be able to maintain that body, you're going to have to work. Everything appears to take work. So whose idea was this, right? You know, the, I remember that, you know, in the beginning stages, I'm an entrepreneur. So in the beginning stages of, of, of um, my first ever business was selling what I call heat patches. And I remember when I started that business, I remember thinking, because of my perspective on work, I was like, when I was doing the spreadsheet for this thing, I was like, dude, I'm going to make a million dollars in the first year, right? And in my head, I remember thinking like, ah, this thing is, you know, it's just going to, I'm just going to get these products quick, quick, yeah? Brand them, hmm? quick, quick, hmm? stock them, and guys will just buy these things. What? My friend, let me tell you, like, everything takes work, right? Even that first business, it didn't work out. But the, I was so surprised by the amount of work it took to just do this thing. And the fact that it didn't even work out was so destabilizing to me. And the thing is, the stark realization that we have is that literally there are no slam dunks. Every single thing that we do, even now when people come to me with a business idea and they're like, man, this thing was going to be whatever. Me in my head, I'm always just kind of like, bro, let me tell you something. There's no slam dunks. Every single thing that you do, every single thing that you do is going to take a lot of intentional effort to make it successful. Whose idea was this? Whose idea was this? And why is it this way? Why do we work? Why can't things just happen? Why do we always have to work? And the, here's the thing today. The word of God has an answer for us. Now, I want us to read Genesis 1, right? 26 to Genesis 2, 15. That's what I want us to read. Genesis 1, 26 to Genesis 2, 15. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, 
The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden from where it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east of side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, the thing is, is that Genesis 1 is a story of creation and God creating. And I'm sure many of us have probably know about this. Where it starts off with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. Now, the thing is, is that what happens is, is that we begin through Genesis 1 to see the, how God is here creating all these different things. Trees, he's creating vegetation, the sea, the sky, light, all these different things. But the thing is that's really interesting is that when we look at Genesis 1, where it begins is that we see that God created the heavens and the earth, but we don't know why. We don't know why he did it. We just know what we just see here is God just comes and tells in this. The, the author tells us that God is the one who created. He's the creator and all the things that he began to create. But we never really quite understand and see why he did all this stuff. Like, why was God creating all this stuff? Why did God create all these things? And this is not what we are told, right? All we're told is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but it doesn't say why, right? Now, it says that he created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. So first he created the earth. It was formless and empty. And then thereafter, we see the author narrate to us how God began to bring about everything that we see in creation, right? The light, the water, the sky, the birds, the trees, all this stuff. Everything intentionally created by the creator. But we don't know why he did it. Now, the first time in the book of Genesis where we are told why God is creating something. So we don't know why he's creating all this other stuff. But the only time where we see why God is creating something, where there is intention, where we're told why he's created something, is in verse 26, which we just read. The first time we actually see purpose unfolding is in the creation of man, where he says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, there is no so that for why he created the trees, so that, right? What we see here is that so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You know, the thing is that when you look at the phrase so that, so that is a phrase that denotes purpose, right? In, in the dictionary, it says that we use so that in order that, we use so that and in order that, 
to talk about purpose. What is the purpose of this thing? So that, right? And so why did God create man in his own image and likeness? It says he created man in his own image and likeness so that he could rule over his creation. He tells mankind, be fruitful. In other words, be productive, multiply, fill the earth. And so what God wanted was this appointed representative, his appointed representative to fill every part of his creation. And then he says to mankind to subdue, he says to mankind, subdue this creation, subdue my creation, which basically means bring everything under your control. And so God's appointed representative must ensure that everything is under his control. And so the reason that we're made in the image and likeness is because God wanted his representative, mankind, to manage the earth he had created. Right? Mankind was to bring everything under his control and by extension under the control of his commissioning authority, which is God. Okay? So it is therefore the responsibility of every man and woman to be productive and to bring things under their control everything that is around them, to bring it under their control. But the thing that is so interesting to note is that when you look at the things that God is saying to mankind in terms of the so that, the purpose that he infuses into mankind, that you realize that we were not formed to be passive. When you look at the words, be fruitful, subdue, rule, these are not passive words. We're not formed to be those people who are about, you know, what's for you will come to you. Right? What is for you? You know that phrase, what is for you will, will, will come to you. No, when you think about how when God created mankind, there was, no, there was nothing passive about it. What's for you will come to you is very passive. We were formed to be proactive, to be fruitful, to subdue, to bring everything under your control, to rule. And so fundamentally... We were created to put in effort, to be proactive. It takes effort to be productive. It takes effort to subdue. It takes effort to rule. And here is the thing. This, all these things, these things we are able to do in likeness to God. Because God is not passive. God is proactive. God is about fruitfulness. God is about subduing. God is about ruling. And so what happens then is, is that in Genesis 2, what happens is that it begins now in Genesis 2, now after we see that they saw that, that us guys have been made in a very like, we were made not to be passive, but it's like our, our, the command was very proactive. Be fruitful. Subdue. Rule. And then in Genesis 2, there's something interesting that happens here. It begins by explaining to us that all this stuff that we had been seeing God doing in chapter 1, what all that stuff is, right? In chapter 2, it begins by telling us what God was doing. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And so the thing that is so interesting is, is that in, in uh, chapter two of Genesis, we now understand all that stuff that God was doing. 
And it's the fact that all that stuff that he was doing was work. And so first and foremost, to answer the question of why we work, is that for us to realize that this work thing was not a thing that began with man. That work was a thing that began with God. And the thing is this. It says that we are made in his image and likeness. And so the reality is this. That the reason, the fundamental reason why we work is because our God works. It is like going for something deeper. It says like fundamentally, the reason why we work is because our God works. We are made in his image and likeness. And so when he comes and he calls us into proactivity, it is because he is just like that. And because he has made us like him, he has made it so that every single thing that we do, every single bit of fruitfulness that we need to see has to come from our proactive activity. It has to come from work. Whoo! God created the heavens and the earth. It was formless, empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And thereafter, he began to work on it. And we are just like him. We work because God works. This is why whatever we desire fruitfulness from requires work. The God who created from nothing and began to work on it says that we ought to do the same. And it's interesting because isn't it the same for us? When you think about how we're able to create something from nothing, like you're able to create something from an idea, like it's like I'm able to start a business from an idea that I had. And how that thing becomes a business, that idea is that I begin to work on it. And you begin to work on this thing, and when you work on this thing, it becomes a thing. Literally, this is exactly the same thing that God did. It doesn't tell us why he created this world, but he had an idea to create it. And so he does it. And then the next thing he does is that we see this thing was formless, void, and then he begins to work on it. He says, let there be this, let there be this. And he begins to work on this thing. And he begins to work on this thing. And then now he comes and then he makes a man who is in his image and likeness. And then he says to this man, go and do the things that I'm doing. So part of the reason why we work is because our God works. We are a mirror of him. And so if we want to be able to see anything become significant, we have to go through the path of work because that's how our God is. And we are made in his image and likeness. How we can take an idea from, like I mentioned, an idea and just turn it into something. This is literally an ability that is given to us by him because we are made in his image and likeness. The reason why we work is because our God works. We are designed that way. And so any fruitfulness we desire to see is always on the other side of our proactive effort. Anytime God wants to do some work on the earth, you will notice that he always collaborates with the creation he made just like him. You know, I always used to wonder with the children of Israel when they were entering the promised land, why didn't God just send a plague to wipe out all the giants? Why didn't he just send the uh, brimstone, stones from heaven, right? The God of heaven and earth with all powerful, just send stones, just go and maliza these guys, right? 
Malis are the inhabitants of this land. Why is it that the, in, that the Israelites had to put in intentional effort to go and take possession of the land that God had given them? If you notice that the rebellious Israelites, the guys uh, who were in Moses' time, not the guys in Joshua, they, when they came and they found the giants, then they assumed that it would be a situation of what's for you will come to you. <laughs> Right? That's what they thought. They thought they'd come into the land. It's like, yo, see, God has given us this land. What's for you will come for will come, will, will locate you. <laughs> hey, come on. That's the vibe that they went in. Then they go, they went there and they're like, bruh, you're trying to tell us we have to do work to get into this place. We have to go and fight guys. Forget it. Forget it. Because in their minds, they never imagined that they needed to put in any work to get this land. But that wasn't the case. And the reason why God had it this way is because that is how our God is. Our God works. Whatever is for you, you must go for it. This, wasn't, this, this whole Israelite story that Joshua was in a situation of, if it's for you, go, if it's for you, it will come for you. No, it was an if it's for you, go for it. Whatever is for you, you must go for it. Because that's how God designed it. Our God is a fruitful God. Our God is a working God. And by extension, because we are like him, we are also designed to work. Whatever fruitfulness you want to see on this earth and in our lives, it is on the other side of work. We work because our God works. And therefore, when we work, we are within ourselves being like him. It is the reason why the way we work is so important. It is the reason why when we look at what God was saying to us about Hagar and he starts talking to us about work, this is the reason why he's so interested about work. Because work is a reflection of him. It's a reflection of who God is. Proactive effort is an intention. It's, it's a reflection of who God is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he did not wait for us. That God, through his proactive effort, through Jesus Christ, comes to redeem us. Why? Because our God works. He is not a passive God. He is a proactive God. And because we are made in his image and likeness, he commands us, be fruitful, subdue, rule. And because we are made in his image and likeness, he says, because I work, you too must work. You too must be proactive in your effort to see the things that you want to be able to come to life. You have to input proactive effort. You must work. And the thing is that's so interesting is, is that I think in the church, generally, and especially right now for the most part, especially with the whole kind of evangelical movement, we have a very clear misunderstanding of work. Right? The other day I was watching um, something, I don't even know where I watched this clip of this, uh, I guess, I don't know who he was, a minister, who was basically his hands were he was in fact this is exactly how he was he was praying and he was saying to the he was saying to the to the to the, to the audience um 
Miracle money in your account this week. Miracle money. Let miracle money come into your account this week. Let miracle money come into your account this week. And he was there just throwing all this miracle money into, into, into people's accounts. Now, the thing that is so interesting is how he's here wanting to throw miracle money into people's accounts for money, for things that didn't even work for. Right? Nothing. No, no effort. There's miracle money that appears. But the thing is that's so interesting is this. Don't you find it interesting? That while Jesus walked on this earth, while Jesus walked on this earth, that there's not a single time you see anyone coming to him for a financial miracle. In fact, the one time you see a financial miracle happening, right? The one time you see a financial miracle happening is in Matthew 27, right? So first and foremost, the reason why that's interesting to me is because right now in the church today, if you ask anyone who is in need of a financial miracle, <laughs> I'm sure everyone will raise their hands, even here, everyone here is raising their hands. <laughs> everyone who is in need of a financial miracle, the whole. But why is it that Jesus, for some reason, right? Don't you think there's something interesting about that? And the thing that's so interesting is, in Matthew 27, is the first time where we see a financial miracle that Jesus performs, right? And this is the thing that's so interesting about this financial miracle, where the tax collectors come to Jesus and to Peter. They come to Peter, actually, who's with Jesus, and they ask Peter, does your master not, doesn't your teacher pay taxes? Yeah, what's up, man? Where is the temple tax, bro? Where is the temple tax? So they came to collect the temple tax from, from, from Jesus. And so Peter comes back to Jesus and tells him, yo, these homies are here to, for the tax. Jesus asks him, who's supposed to pay tax? Anyway, there's a whole story around this. But then this is the thing that's so interesting, is that what Jesus says to, to Peter, is that he says to Peter, right? Go to the lake, okay? Throw out your line, and the first fish that you catch, there will be a four drachma coin that will be enough to pay for my tax and yours as well. Pretty remarkable that there is um, that this is this is in essence a financial miracle, right? That there was a four drachma coin in this fish, but don't you think it's interesting? And don't you? This is something that is so interesting to notice about this story, about this financial miracle that we see in Jesus, Jesus doing, is that he doesn't make money come out of nowhere. There was no miracle money. There was no. There wasn't like the 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 the, the guys came and then he was just like you know like a magician. He's just like. Tsh. Here is a four drachma coin. Go and pay your tax. In fact, this is what he does. Remember that Peter was a fisherman. What does he say to Peter? He says to Peter, I want you to go to the lake. I want you to throw out, not a line, your line. So he doesn't tell Peter, I want you to go in the, to, to, the, to, the, to some guy over there, a carpenter. He doesn't tell Peter, I want you to go to this place and dig the ground. And when you dig the ground, you'll find a coin in there. No. He tells Peter to go to the lake. Peter was a fisherman. And he tells him, go to the lake. Throw out your line. Not another person's line. So the thing that you know how to do. So you know how to fish. Go and throw out your line. And when you throw out your line, the first fish that you catch, there's a coin in there. So literally, even when Jesus is trying to make a financial miracle happen, it is through Peter's work. Peter has to go 
to the lake, throw out his line, and as he throws out this line, the first fish that he catches, that's where the coin is. That's where the coin is. Peter had to go and do some work. God blesses the work of our hands. So this miracle money that this prophet was praying for, that's not how God works. It doesn't matter. This is the equivalent. It doesn't matter. Like it's similar to something that I watched again. <laughs> I'm telling you, the as evangelicals to Nakunga Namashida. There's this guy who was praying for, <laughs> was praying for this baby who was a bit obese. And she was slain on the ground. And he was there laying hands on her saying, Spirit of overweight, come out. And I remember watching this and just being like, my friend. <laughs> That's not how it works, <laughs> right? If you, want, if, you want, if you want to be able to have, uh, generally, the way to get a good body, or even just to be able to work out your body, is not through prayer. It is through actually going and working out. Yeah? You go, if you want muscles, <laughs> yeah? you go, you work on it. Right? If you want financial success, right? God doesn't give you miracle money in your account. What he does is that he gives you an idea to work on, a business to build, a job to apply yourself. You won't get one million in your account. Why does he do this? Because that's how he is. He will give you a garden to work on. And therefore, if you want to see fruitfulness in your relationship, you have to work on it. If you want to have great kids that flourish and are obedient, you've got to work on it. If you want to be able to have a great body, you have to work on it. Every fruitful thing that you want is on the other side of work. Why? Because that's how God designed it. God works, so we must work too, period. This is just how it is. In Akuanga Ivyo, we must accept it and we have to come to terms with this idea. That this is not something we run away from. This is something that we embrace because this is how our God is. This is how we see fruitfulness in anything. It is on the other side of our work. Amen? Now the thing that's also interesting to note on the other, in, in, in the story of mankind's creation is that in the account of mankind's creation in Genesis 1, what happens is that in the Genesis 1, we see the, the, the creation of spirit, the spirit of man, spirit man, the spirit form, mankind, the spirit that is in us. That is the thing that we see being created. And so we see the commissioning of mankind as the spirit man, that you, you have been infused with fruitfulness. You have been infused with a mandate to be fruitful. You've been infused, your spirit has been infused with a mandate to subdue. Your spirit has been infused with a mandate to go and rule. But then the thing that we see in chapter 2, which, we're, which we, we read, is that in chapter 2, is that we now see the formation of the human body, the human form, right? The flesh is where we see now what's happening in chapter 2, where it says in verse 4, from verse 5 to 7, and yeah, well, yeah, so it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Let me read that again. There was no what? Where was there no shrub yet that appeared on the earth? There was no plant that had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. 
and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the, water, from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So that means the rain is sorted. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And so now the thing that is so interesting is, is so now not only do we see the purpose of man in regards to God's creation, which is to rule, to, make, to be fruitful, to bring under control, but now we even see that even there is purpose in forming the human form, this body, this flesh, that the reason why he forms this flesh is because there needs to be someone to work the ground. So already, there is already work for the spirits. <laughs> and there is work for the flesh. The, f- the, the, the first, he wanted the man to rule over the living creatures. To subdue, to rule, to be proactive. Go and proactively do this thing. That in the spirit, that there is already in your spirit, that there has to be proactive activity within your spirit. This is part of the reason why there is no way that you can be able to have a relationship with God that is really just beautiful and fruitful without you literally putting in intentional effort. That if you're just going to sit around and just be like, yeah, man, you know, my God, this relationship. But unless you're able to literally, this is why they talk about the spiritual disciplines. That you're, unless you're able to spend time in prayer, in studying his word, in the things that we've talked about in the whole Acts series. That these are the things literally that he's talking about here. That the spirit man, even in his fruitfulness, has to be able to be engaged in intentional, proactive efforts to see fruitfulness. Even in the relationship between him and his maker. And so it happens so that also, even his, his, his flesh, even his flesh, the same thing happens. The same thing happens. It says here that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now the thing that is so interesting, the thing that is so interesting, and this is kind of where I want us to be able to, 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 to wrap this up is that in the two references made to work in this second chapter of Genesis in verse 5 and in verse 15, the word used for work is the Hebrew word abad or bad. And the thing that is interesting about this word, this Hebrew word, it's the word used for work, service, and worship. It is no coincidence That the same word for worship is the same word for work or service to God. The work mankind, from his spirit form to his flesh form, was being called to is that which is in service to God. This is a service that is an act of worship. Your work is worship. And think about it. This is, we're talking about Genesis. That even before we are given any other things to do, that the first thing that is being infused in us, the first form of worship that is being infused in us, is a worship that is about work, that is about service to God. And this is the thing. 
when you realize that even Paul speaks about this in Colossians 3, 23 to 24, that fundamentally our service, our work is not a service towards men. Our work is a service towards God. It says here, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. It is Lord Jesus Christ whom you are worshipping through your work. Paul was such a big... If you read the letters of Paul, you realize that he talked about work so many times. Because he recognized that these are not things that are devoid of our witness. They are not devoid of our worship towards God. You know, one thing that's really interesting is that obviously because of COVID, my business was completely like just annihilated from from the whole COVID-19 situation. And what it did is that it led me to be very discouraged. I was heavily discouraged and to the extent that I had lost my zeal for work. I was just there like, man, I really don't want to do this thing anymore. In fact, I remember just thinking and even telling these guys, I was just like, man, maybe I just need to just let go of that whole thing. Me and I'm a full-time ministry. I'll just become a preacher full-time, right? Forget about the work. And so what happened is this. One day, it was a Friday evening, I get a phone call from one of my mentors. Um, this is more like a work mentor. Uh, you know how you have spiritual mentor? Yeah, so this is someone who has really kind of carried me through the, my whole kind of career journey, uh, uh, business journey. And one of the things that I, you know, I began to, to, to as soon as she, she called, I began to tell her, I was like, listen, I'm having this, you know, you know, work has become so difficult. Mook is just like, oh my gosh, like we're, it's just so hard. I just don't understand. Like it's so hard. It's so hard. And then I started telling her about like Adulam and I'm just like, there's this thing I'm also doing called Adulam. It's so dope. It's so dope. Like it's just flowing. And then there's this hard thing. And she cut me off in between there. And this is what she said to me. She said, Thimba, what you don't understand is your work is your worship. And so for me over here, where I was divorcing, just and she, and basically what she said to me is this. She's like, so what if it's hard? <laughs> hey, so, so what if it's become, it's, you're going through a difficult season? She's just like, you've just got to work through it. Why? Because your work is your worship. So she's just like, Thimba, just worship God, even through these difficult seasons. Where he talks about where we learn. Worship God through the difficult seasons. And we always think about worship as sing through the difficult seasons. But we don't realize that it's not just about the singing part. That it's also calling us in terms of even in the difficult season, work. Because work is your worship. We exist to worship God. We live to worship God. We are designed to worship God. And we worship God through our work. Promotion comes from our God. Promotion comes from him. We worship God through our work. You know, one of the things that's so interesting is that obviously in this season of being discouraged and feeling like, um, you know, I feel like, man, this thing has become so difficult. I don't know if I'm going to. I remember after she spoke to me, that thing really woke me up. It woke me up. But I want to remember that even in the 
episode 15 of the Acts series when we were talking about how, you know, God is calling us to up our game in terms of work. And I remember thinking to myself during that whole period, just even as I was sharing that and talking about how, if you remember, I, I, I spoke, if you, if, you don't, if you haven't watched that, please, you have to go watch it. Go watch Acts, uh, the, the 15th episode. And the thing that's so interesting is that I remember saying to you guys how I joined the gym, all these things, and, le- and realizing that the things that I was doing at that point in time were not maximizing my fullest potential in the things that I was able to do, right? But here's the thing that's so interesting, is that in as much as I was here being like, you know, God is calling us to, you know, calling us to work. And I remember thinking to myself, just be, I remember the feeling that I had where I was just like, man, like, I really need to up my game, you know, because I really need to just like put in more, put in more effort. And one of the things that happened is that a day later, I was, again, God, I told you many times, speaks to me in the shower and God speaks to me and he tells me, Thimba, I want you to be encouraged because I want you to know that I would not have given you this ministry if you had not been faithful in doing the work at MOOC. And I would not have given you MOOC if you are not faithful in the job that I had given you before, which where I was working for someone else. And the realization for me was this, is that what God really was calling us to understand or calling me to understand is that even in this season and in whatever season that we're in, whatever it is that we need to do, whatever it is that we need to achieve, whatever it is that we want to see, whatever fruitfulness we want to see, whatever things that he was calling us to, he wants us to be a witness, he wants us to do this, he wants us to go and start this, to go and talk to so-and-so, all those things require the very same thing. It requires us to understand and reframe our mindset around work, that our work is worship, that we are being called to worship God through our work. That's the reason why you'll be able to have more on your table. That's the reason why you'll be able to achieve the things that God is calling you to achieve. The the question that I want to ask you today as I close, what work has God given you? Is it to start that Bible study with your friends? Is it to start that prayer squad? Is it a business? Is it a job? Is it to call someone? Is it to pray for someone? Is it to financially support someone? My call today to you is that worship God by being faithful in doing that thing to the best of your ability. To the best of your ability. Worship God by faithfully doing that work. No matter how small it seems, worship God faithfully by doing that thing that he is put in your hands to do and that he's calling you to do. And so my friends today, The call is to us to be able to reframe our mindset around work. That it is a call to worship. Worship God through the work that he gives you. Worship God with the intentional and proactive effort and sacrifice that you put into everything that you do. Work is worship. And so the two things today is that we work because our God works. And further, our work is our worship. Our work is how we worship God.
work is worship. And so today I pray that you will make a decision to worship God through your work. That whatever work God has given to you, worship him through that work in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word today. Father, I pray that for every single person hearing and listening, that your word would infiltrate into their heart and that you would cause us to be able to have the right mindset and to reframe our minds and our hearts towards our perspective on work. That the reason why we can embrace work is because we are embracing being just like you. And that the reason why we can be able to put in the best effort that we can is because we are able to worship you through our work. King of heaven, thank you, Father, for teaching us such deep and profound things. I pray in Jesus' holy name that the promise that you gave to us in Haggai, that it will be true for us, that you would bless us, that you would bless the work of our hands, that you would cause us, just like you did for Peter, that it would be the first fish <laughs> that we go cast and put our effort into that would bear fruit. That we would be like Isaac, who planted in a year of drought and reaped a thousandfold. I pray that you would bless our work. Bless our work, O Heavenly Father. As you have promised, we ask and we claim these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Listen, if this message blessed you, please be sure to share with someone whom you love. Share with a friend, a colleague, anyone. And then also, listen, support us. Support this ministry so that we can be able to make more dope content and be able to spread this message of the kingdom to as many people as possible. And then make sure that you subscribe. Sawa, subscribe. Subscribe, wherever the button. Subscribe, subscribe. God bless you guys.